Yo, 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 yo. What's up, all you burners, stoners, and potheads out there? This is Weedman420 with the Weedman420 Chronicles. How are all you v- 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 vipers doing out there? Mrs. Weedman? Mr. Weedman? How the hell are you? I'm great. I love it. Actually, I think I'm still a little bit in vacation brain mode. Yeah. yeah but we I'm just great. got back from a wedding. We did. Bigfoot, Mr. Weedman's younger brother. Got married last weekend. Oh, boy. <laughs> did we have some fun? We really, really did. But it's taking a little time to get my yeah. brain back into, like, work mode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a three-day wedding, let's it just was. say. We flew in on a Friday to Key West, Florida. Amazing. Amazing. And there was the party on Friday, the wedding on Saturday, and a party on Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was not high, or I should say I was high from the moment I woke up every morning to the time I went to bed. Just about. Just about. <laughs> there was a lot of consuming. <laughs> there were some drinks going around, too, let's yes. say. But lots of good cocktails. Holy cow. Lots of beer. Lots of weed. Mr. Weedman bought down eight joints of his home grow, the Majin Fujita, and the Weedman 420 Experimental Strain. And I tell you what, it's I all got, gone. It is all gone. <laughs> and then some others. That and other I bought down brought. about a hundred, five hundred edibles. Yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, I bought down a lot of a lot of gummies and a lot of this and a lot of that. I bought down a, I don't know. I just bought down a lot of stuff. Packed it in my my checking bag, and you know, it is what it is. We I think had I some heard. Fun. I think I heard someone make a comment like, "Wait." You talked to Mr. Weedman for five minutes and he didn't offer you cannabis? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> so uh, I think most people knew where to find the weed yeah. if you wanted Oh, it. yeah. Everybody yeah. came and knew where to get an edible or, or knew and they could smell the, the fine cannabis coming from our area. But we have some stories to tell real quick about our trip and how much fun we had. Mrs. Weedman, you want to talk about one or two or three? Well, we'll talk about one and maybe we'll share some others throughout the show. Um, it was, I think, the wedding night that yeah. we ended up back at the pool. Yes. Right? So that would have been Saturday. And after the wedding, there was a reception. After the reception, there was a party at a bar. And after the party at the bar, there was bar crawling. And then eventually people straggled into, it's Key West. So in Key West, Florida, there's a lot of little kind of bed and breakfast style um, hotels. So it was kind of like a compound. You felt like you were on someone's private property. There were a couple little pools, a couple little houses, and then larger buildings that had more like hotel, motel style rooms, you know, doors on the outside, no hallways or elevators. It was just cute, super quaint, super tropical. And we had the whole place. Uh, Mr. Weedman's brother and his now wife uh, essentially booked the whole place out. So we it was like home for the weekend, and it was pretty freaking amazing. So it was like just hanging out in someone's backyard, and there were a lot of weed consumers at this wedding. So as people started like flowing in from the Saturday night adventures, um, there was just, of course, weed smoking. Are you sure that was Saturday night? Probably Sunday. Were? I think it was Sunday. Sunday. It was Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So Sunday was a sunset cruise. That everybody was in costumes for. Pretty crazy. And then I think most people, a couple of people bar hopped a little bit. And then, again, we all kind of straggled our way back to the compound. And so we all ended up 
poolside, which was awesome. And some people were in the pool in their costumes. Some people were floating in the pool. Some people were sitting on the side of the pool. Some people were laying upside down on chairs. I mean, it was crazy. And there were just <laughs> joints flowing. <laughs> there was a lot, right? So we got to this point. This was probably like one or two in the morning. And one of these guys that is a very seasoned smoker, we were smoking this big fatty of a joint. And this guy was sitting next to me. I won't say his name. But it was the Weed Man 420 experimental that strain. we were smoking. Yep, and we were ripped. I mean, we were we were baked. It was pretty funny. And he's trying to tell something or make some comment, and he just couldn't get his words out. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he just starts cracking up, and he's like, "I am just too high." <laughs> and I just loved it in that moment because I feel like I'm always that person when I get high or what I feel is too high that I can't function, I'm the person that speaks it and says, oh my God, I'm so high. Ah. And I never hear other people do that. So I don't know if that's a normal thing. But when I heard somebody else do that, finally, I was like, yes, it's not, only me. <laughs> it's not just me. Someone else is actually too high. And we run into his wife and him the next day crossing the street. They were coming out of their hotel because they stayed at a different place. And uh, we're like, come on, come on, hang out with us. And the wife grabs him by the wrist. She goes, you guys are bad influences. <laughs> <laughs> we are not going out with you. <laughs> he so, got denied. Lots of fun. He was so, ready to come. He was. And she grabbed his she arm like, and uh -uh, said, we're good. We're, we're good. going back to the hotel. <laughs> it's time. It's time for this fun to end. <laughs> so uh, we've got some great stories. Oh, we have, it was we a, had a fantastic time. Yeah, it was a great. It was a great time to see Bigfoot get married. Yeah. A lot of fun. Because of COVID, there were many canceled, almost wedding dates. So it was, I think, for everybody, just finally, this all came together. And so everyone was really happy to be together yep, and celebrate. Yep. We also got to go to a place called the Green Parrot. Yeah. Which famous is a bar. Famous bar. And there was a band that played there. And they were phenomenal. They were amazing. They, they were, were like a... One, two, like seven-piece band? Yes. A couple of guitars, keyboard, horns, horns. Drummer. Drummer. I mean, yeah. yeah. They are called Spread the Dub. They were great. They were very good. And they blew the place up, and we partied, and they joined in a lot of our fun. And how they joined in our fun was is I had probably about 30 or 40 edibles on me. <laughs> what else did I do? <laughs> uh, off of the band some and the DJ. And I gave the band, all of them, I think it was five or ten milligram edibles. I handed them all, and they all ate them, and they were all smiles. The DJ, there was a DJ also. Gave him one. Gave him one. Gave him one. They were all vibing. And they were loving it, and they gave a shout-out to Bigfoot for his wedding, and they were having a blast, and then the edibles kicked in during the show, and they were all smiles and giving us high fives and having joining in the party. Oh, my God. That was, that was on Friday night. That was on Friday night. Saturday night, I saw the DJ out at another bar. He was leaving the bar, and I caught him while I was walking in, and I recognized him, and he recognized me. He goes... Thanks for that edible. That was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Hope to see you again sometime is what oh he said gosh. to me. So so some stories, yeah. and it was a great time. So it's time to smoke, though. It is. Yeah, I like that bowl up. I'm going to smoke. Smoke, smoke, smoke. Yeah, so the the another thing about our trip was our flight got canceled on Saturday. We were supposed to fly out. And it got canceled, and we wind up staying in another night in Fort Lauderdale because we were flying out of Fort Lauderdale. We were in Florida for over a week, yeah. so this was the this was this past weekend. Yes, we were flying home. So we're flying home, and uh, our flight got canceled, so we had to stay a night. Went went, but who cares? It was in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, what what's another night of vacation? So we uh, uh, didn't have any 
cannabis on us because all my stuff was packed in our ba- our bags that we checked in. And when our flight got canceled, we couldn't get our bags back, which sucked. So all I had was an, uh, uh, a night-night sleep-sleep pen on me, and we wanted to go out and party. So we stopped at uh, a little head shop and just to look around while we are waiting to go for dinner. And they were selling Delta 8. They were selling CBD flour. They were selling pre-rolls of CBD and all this stuff. But they had these Pop Rocks that said Delta 9 THC. We're like, wait and a minute. Yeah, yeah. This confused me. So we talked to the, the, the shopkeeper. And I just asked him, I said, how do you sell Delta 9 THC in your store? You're not a, you're not a, in Florida, it's only medical dispensaries. So you, I, and they're not reciprocal. So I couldn't go to the dispensary and buy anything, which sucks. So he's like, well, this is a hemp derivative. It's less than 0.3% THC. So we're able to sell it. But I said, it says 15 milligrams per dose in this. They were pop rocks. <laughs> they were pop rocks. And he's like, I'm like, he's like, yeah, we can do it down here because it is from hemp and cannabis is it from hemp is legal at, Point three percent, and I said that's just so strange though because it's fifteen milligrams. So I guess so. We we Mrs. Weeman and I said it's fifteen milligrams. Let's just see. We bought it. It was like six bucks. We bought it. We, we were sp- a little skeptical. Yeah, we split it. Uh, we uh, after dinner we split it half and half. The pop rocks were good. Tastes exactly like pop rocks. It was probably like mouth. a tablespoon of pop rocks. Yeah, yeah. So and uh, we go into a bar to have a, have a cocktail um, and. All of a sudden, I just started feeling a little bit of a body high. Not too heady, not heady at all, and it wasn't very strong. Within like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, it was gone. But we were just so confused how they were able to sell Delta 9 THC in the store and just a regular, a regular head, head, shop. head shop. Yeah. yeah. And he explained it pretty well, but it still just confuses me. So, <laughs> yeah. so. but we did come away from the weekend thinking that Florida is just. A bit of the Wild West. Yes. And I can't recall, but I think we traveled someplace else recently that was kind of Wild Westy, but in the it, rules. But I mean, like, there's no sign of COVID even existing in Florida. So it was a little bizarre. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it was bizarre. So, but a good trip. Glad to be home, though. Nothing better than being home. Yeah. So, ready to get the show started, Mrs. Weed Man? Yep. I'm ready to get the show started. Let's Medical versus recreational cannabis users. Who spends more? Cannabis data and analytics specialist Headset just released its latest report comparing U.S. medical and recreational cannabis market development, bearing results that reveal sales patterns and unifying trends across the industry. The report findings are grounded in the context of predominant pattern of a three-step process in cannabis market development, including prohibition, medical access, and adult use legalization. Through there are exceptions to this evolution where markets leapfrog medical use and go straight from cannabis prohibition to adult use legalization. Flagship states like California, which approved medical use in 1996, but took another 20 years to allow adult use cannabis, follow a more predictable pattern. The report compares California's slower rollout to Illinois' accelerated process, evident in its shorter six-year span between medical and recreational legalization. Due to the time tested predictably of the market pattern, industry analysis are using it to make sense of the past, paint a clear picture of the present, and forecast future sales patterns in states such as New York, New Jersey, and Montana, which will all be transitioning to recreational use this year. 
Headsets report also looks at cannabis markets in Illinois and Michigan, which made the medical to recreational transition fairly recently, and Colorado and Oregon, which jumped on the bad wagon much sooner. Overall analytics show scientific growth when markets first transitioned to adult use as illustrated by Illinois, 226% gain in the period between January 2020 launch of the recreational market to July of 2021. Michigan's recreational use program may have had more of a sluggish start, but its total adult use sales saw a whopping increase of 1,077% over the same period. The impact of adult use legalization of medical market is less predictable and more state-specific. While Illinois medical use sales initially held steady once adult use legalization passed, Michigan saw a 75% growth in medical sales between January 2020 and July of 2021. Still, the proportion of total cannabis sales to medical patients in Michigan has steadily declined since the introduction of recreational market, and Illinois saw a steadily decline over the first quarter, resulting in an all-time low of 20.9% in July of 2021. However, Colorado and Oregon, two of the most mature recreational markets in the country, offer some evidence that adult use legalization is not necessarily a death meal for uh, medicinal use. Oregon's medical sales have held steady at an 8 to 12% since the beginning of 2020, with Colorado topping that over the previous 12 months at between 18 to 20%. Medical patients spend more. Buying behavior differences between recreational medical use consumers can impact the market as well. Headsets data shows that medical consumers tend to purchase more product at one time, a metrics that are referred to as a basket size, than recreational consumers, giving Oregon as a prime example, where pre-tax average size for medical patients over a 90-day period was a staggering 99% larger than that of recreation use consumers. I can agree with that because mm-hmm. when I go to a different state and it's just wreck. I don't spend a lot of money. I buy a couple of pre-rolls or I buy some edibles and that's it. Even in this state, in Illinois, I have never been a rec user. I've been only a medical user. And I know when I go in, when I was buying before I started home growing, when I'd go in, I'd spend anywhere on average between 150 to 200 bucks because you get some great deals. You get percentage off. You buy one, get one kind of stuff. So you definitely get better deals as a medical patient. So you spend a little bit more, but you're getting more. As a rec patient, hearing from everybody who's rec users here in Illinois, they're pissed off because they they uh, one cartridge can cost them one hundred twenty dollars, and that might be their budget <laughs> for the week. You know, some people might spend fifty bucks or a hundred. The taxes here, I think, is what drives Illinois sales a little differently because it's so expensive. Um, consumer differences carried over into preferred consumables as well, with uh, medical patients trending higher in concentrate consumption versus the recreational user of. Uh, for edibles and pre-rolls. In the end, lower taxes, higher potency THC products, and more knowledgeable staff and sales experience gives the medical use market enough of an edge that it shows some promise of holding it down, uh, holding its own, even if the, if the advent of adult use legalization. Given the astro- astronomical growth spurt of new adult use markets, however, Headset's latest findings suggest that medical cannabis will be lucky to maintain its 10 to 20% uh, of total market share. Hmm. We'll see what happens with the medical market. I know... A lot of people don't pay attention to it like they should. Uh, here's another article. The connection between the way weed smells and you. The question is, can we smell what we need as opposed to what we like? Do you love cannabis strains that smell like citrus grove? Do you prefer buying an eight that smells like a stroll in the pine forest? Is your idea of gas crisis, uh, gas crisis when the dispensary runs out of your favorite strain? Even if your guiding principle is buying weed is uh, the cheaper, the better, the aroma can be a major part of the experience and one of the most important factors cannabis users look for when buying herb. 
But just because you like the smell of a particular strain doesn't mean it actually works better for you. Terpenes, which we've talked a lot about. We have a whole episode on terpenes, so but I'm still going to go through this as a reminder. Helps me learn. Terpenes, the reason your weed smells like that. If you smell, if you like the smell of a particular cannabis strain, you can thank terpenes for that. Terpenes are the primary molecules responsible for the smell of cannabis and are also the primary uh, constituents in essential oils. The science of smells is very complex and certainly there is more going on than just terpenes, but they are believed to be a major contributor to the unique smell of cannabis. For instance, the terpene limoline has a citrusy aroma while pinene, not surprisingly, has a woody or piney aroma. But terpenes can also have a major effect on what you may feel using a specific cannabis uh, chemovar, uh, a tenet of the proposed entourage effect. Limoline is often described as having a refreshing, energizing effect in cannabis strains that have a strong citrus aroma, like super lemon haze, or those that are high in limoline, or both like XJ13, are frequently touted as producing a more uplifting effect. I love XJ13. <laughs> yes, you do. Oh, <laughs> Though it can range widely from the cultivators to the next, and strain names are not reliable indicator of cannabis genetics. Kush strains tend to be have an earthy herbal aroma with notes of wood and spice as well. The aromas of Kush strains are often attributed to the terpene myrcene, which is high in, in many Kush, Kush strains and often describes as producing a sedative, relaxing effect that people tend to associate with Kush strains or an indica strain. You love the Kush, Mrs. Weedman. I do. Why smell is a key factor. Experienced cannabis enthusiasts always lead the way with, with their nose. Your nose always knows, uh, and there's a good reason for that. You're much more likely to enjoy a strain that is pleasing to your nose rather than going by only THC potency. That's the effects of the terpenes, and that's what makes every strain of cannabis special. Stephen Raychiff, uh, a San Francisco dispensary operator of the, of the Bloom Room and a veteran cultivator, told that in 2018. In an interview with the... Uh, Kanagima, if I pronounce that right, Kanagima, C-A-N-N-I-G-M-A. In December of 2020, Maine-based physician and medical cannabis expert Dr. Dustin Sulak advised cannabis consumers to focus on the aroma, saying that when shopping for cannabis, you should take a good look at it and really smell it to get an idea of its aroma. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to see cannabis out of of the packaging in Illinois so you can smell it mm -hmm. and really know what you want to buy or at least have little like smell-o-vision stuff or something, you know, or I don't know. I just wish it would happen. Uh, I think people are doing a great job shopping for cannabis varieties by using their nose more than their minds and reading the names on the containers. In other words, while cannabis consumers often put a major emphasis on THC content when shopping for cannabis products, they'd, they'd be better off focusing on the terpene profile of the cannabis and whether or not the aroma is pleasing to them. This is especially true if the aroma corresponds uh, corresponds with cannabis products that have worked for them in the past. Do consumers think citrus equals better weed? While there has been no shortage of hip-hop songs in recent years telling the joys of gas, cannabis consumers may actually assume that the strains that are more pungent and citrusy are more potent, according to a study published in PLOS 1 in 2018. In the study, participants were asked to, to estimate the potency of a sample of cannabis, how they would pay for it, and how much they would want to smoke it, based solely on aroma. Ratings for all three variables differed significantly across samples, indicating that a strained scent can impact how consumers rate their aspects of product quality, the research stated. They found that strains in the citrus lemon sweet pungent cluster generated higher estimates of potency, interested in price than those in the woody earthy herbal cluster. 
Although smell-based consumers' perceptions of cannabis potency vary by strain, they show no relationship to experimental measures' uh, THC uh, content. Can we really detect the smells that work best for us? Are great aromas a universal thing, or is it truly individualized? A study published in 2012 looked at the psychology behind how people pick the fragrances they wear, such as the case of perfume or deodorant, and found that people chose a fragrance based on how they interact with their own individual body odor. I will attest to that, because Mrs. Weedman wears this phenomenal, my favorite scent that she wears. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) It's top secret. I don't want everybody to know. I won't tell them what it is, <laughs> but you can never smell it on yourself. No, I can't. And I always say how awesome you smell, and you wear it every day. Do you wear it for me or do you wear it for you? I wear it for me. Well, But I'm glad that you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't wear it if you didn't like it, but I do wear it for me. <laughs> so, uh, so it kind of makes sense sometimes when it comes to people. I can never smell cologne. I don't remember the last time I wore cologne, but I don't. I when I oh, did, you can smell it because when other people have it on, it's not a scent that you agree with. I can't smell it on myself though. If you're wearing the wrong scent, Maybe. see that's the thing. If yeah. you find a scent that works with your pheromones and your your body, then you don't smell it. At right. least that's how it goes for me. Right. And if I wear a perfume that doesn't agree with my body, I smell every. Every I, bit I've of been it. around you, and I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to take a shower. I've been around because sometimes you something can smell good on paper, but we all have different chemical makeups, and right. then we use different products on our bodies, and then you mix all of that together, and it becomes a different scent for everybody. Right. Yeah, I can smell <clears throat> perfumes and colognes that I like, and then there's some I don't like that really affect my nose. My nose will start oh my dripping. Gosh. Yeah, you've, you've been around yeah, me when you it happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what about cannabis? Cannabis research by Dr. Ethan Russo told the Kanagama that when it comes to how consumers perceive the aroma of different cannabis chemovars, uh, chances are good that people create some associations of certain odors with cannabis effect that they find desirable. And added that obvious examples would be citrus scents from limonene and mood elevators and piney scents from alpha pinene for mental clarity. But being able to recognize a smell that you like is not the same thing as having the ability to, to ascertain that a specific aroma indicates that a cannabis chemovar will answer a specific bodily need or treatment goal. The question is, can we smell what, what we need as opposed to what we like? Certainly animals have this ability, and perhaps some sensitive humans do too. Pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Learning more and more about our nose, because it always knows. Here's a good article. The story of cannabis in five essential strains. From the early days of Landris strains to modern marvels, this quintet of strains provides an enlightening survey of cannabis history. Arguing over which strains of cannabis are the best is a time-honored tradition. In good company and armed with some basic knowledge on the seemingly endless bounty of cannabis varieties now available, the quest to defend your chosen strain as the best of the bunch is often a largely subjective exercise, but fun... One, nonetheless. By contrast, a conversation on which cannabis strains deserve to be considered essential in the overall survey of the plant's long, strange history is a different matter entirely. While there are unquestionably many candidates worthy of consideration, telling the story of weed through but a handful of its most Seminal specimens is a challenging is a challenge that quickly yields some obvious answers. Even if your favorite strain is not among the five examples highlighted, it is likely that one of these featured options is a genetic cousin, forebearer, or offspring to the strains you hold nearest and dearest. 
thus considered these selections a series of strange stepping stones that collectively offer a brief but overview of just far cannabis has come and where it may be headed next. Panama Red. Before cultivators began breeding cannabis to create new crosses, consumers were smoking exclusively what is known as a land, landrace strains. These varieties were often named for the geographic area in which they naturally grew, which is how we got Panama Red. The classic of the industry is pure sativa that would go on to become a household name for pot fans in the U.S. in the late 1960s, mostly for being widely available at the time when few strains were even on the market. Known for its lengthy flowering time, often at least 11 weeks, the desire to combine the effects of landry strains with the shorter flowering cycles of cannabis originating from the Afghanistan and for other similar climates kicked off what would ultimately become a cross-breeding revolution. I haven't tried. Maybe I have. Maybe back when back when I was younger, smoking, I we might have got it. But I wonder if my dad, who sold and smoked, got Panama Panama Red back then. I don't know. Kind of neat to think about. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Northern Lights. I love Northern Lights. When it comes to hybrids, a story can't be told without including Northern Lights, a cross of multiple Afghani Landry strains. Northern Lights is reserved for its potency and quick, bountiful yield. By the time we arrive at Northern Lights number five, so named for literally being the fifth manifestation of the strain, the recipe had evolved to also include genetics from a Thai Landry sativa. The result was an addition of both a fruity, tasty, and more notable cerebral high for consumers. Reaching its peak of popularity in the 90s, Northern Lights and the number five varietal specifically is renowned as a study, reliable strain that would also feature prominently in the next phase of the cannabis story, wherein hybrids were at the last cross with one another. And the sky truly became the limit. OG Kush. The story of cannabis often takes the West Coast as its setting, and for good reason. Encompassing California and its famed Emerald Triangle, as well as the pivotal neighboring states like Oregon and Washington, weed's evolution was once one that largely took place where the U.S. meets the Pacific Ocean. Perhaps no strain better exemplifies the journey than O.G. Kush. Forever shrouded in the mysterious origins, the best guess of those eager to trace the lineage suggests that it was a cutting smuggled from the West Coast to Florida and back again that ultimately yielded the iconic example of cannabis at its finest. Forever enshrined in the lyrics of classic hip-hop songs and still name-checked today as the titan of the field, what is known is that we have the cultivator in Los Angeles known as simply as Josh D., and I've smoked some Josh D uh, strains before, uh, to thank for ushering the market into hybrid frenzy that never truly dissipated. White Widow, another strain I like. Uh, rivaling OG Kush in the terms of name recognition and another hybrid that rose to prominence in the 90s, White Widow, named for its buds laden with white and crystally resin. There was no actual venom to worry about. However, a highly potent experience is all but guaranteed from this Netherlands-born heavy hitter. Derived from a cross between Brazilian Indica and South Indian Sativa Landraces, White Widow has long served as a staple of Dutch coffee shops. Furthermore, the desirable effects of White Widow, often described as a mix of euphoria and energy, makes it no surprise that the strain would soon be utilized to create a host of popular offspring strains, including White Russian and Blue Widow. I've never smoked either one of those, mm-hmm. though. Gelato. Turning our eye back to the West Coast, the story of modern cannabis is rather perfectly encapsulated by the balanced hybrid known as gelato. I've smoked it. It's great. And many different varies, uh, variations of gelato. Uh, having gone through multiple incarnations, all courtesy of San Francisco's cookie farm genetics, led by famed cannabis breeders, Mr. Sherbinsky and Jigga, 
Phenotype number 33 is affectionately, if unofficially named, nicknamed Larry Bird in reference to the famed Celtics basketball player jersey number. Featuring a cross between two already famed hybrids, the mint Girl Scout cookies and the mouth-watering fruity indica sunset sherbet, Gelato served as a pivotal role in establishing the Bay Area as a new headquarters for innovation legendary cannabis strains. Still popular today, the amount of strains that owe a debt of recognition to this modern marvel are simply too numerous to name. As for what comes next, the answer is simply as paying a visit to your nearest neighborhood dispensary. New and incredible uh, advents in the strain game are arriving seemingly every day, making their strains listed above, but starting point for any cannabis connoisseurs on the quest to touch and taste all the magic of cannabis's rainbow. I like that. Yeah. Yes. Cannabis jobs. Yeah. How's it coming along? <clears throat> it's a growing industry. In a lot of ways. Tell us um, about it. Yeah. We got an article here called Greener Pastures. Cannabis jobs are becoming a refuge for retail and restaurant workers. An estimated 321,000 Americans now work in the legal cannabis industry, outnumbering the country's dentists, paramedics, and electrical engineers combined. After a year on the front lines, Jason Vocal traded his 15-year career as a Walgreens pharmacist for a different kind of drugstore a cannabis dispensary. <clears throat> now, instead of administering vaccines and filling prescriptions, he's helping customers make sense of concentrates, tablets, and lozenges. His pay is 5% lower, he said, but the hours are much more manageable and he enjoys his work so much more. The cannabis industry is riding a pandemic high. Cannabis dispensaries and cultivation facilities deemed essential by many states at the beginning of the coronavirus coronavirus crisis became an early refuge for retail and restaurant workers who had been furloughed or laid off. The industry has continued to grow, adding nearly 80,000 jobs in 2020 alone, more than double what it did the year before, according to data from Leafly Jobs Report, produced in partnership with Whitney Economics. An estimated 321,000 Americans now work in the industry, which is a 32% increase from last year. The report found making legal cannabis uh, is one of the nation's fastest growing sectors. Many Americans reassessed their jobs and career prospects as the pandemic reshaped their social and working lives. Retail workers in, in particular are quitting at record rates in search of consistent hours, better benefits, and more opportunities to advance, which many say they are finding in the legal cannabis industry. There has been a seismic shift of workers from retail and restaurant to cannabis, said Kara Bradford, chief executive of cannabis recruiting firm Viridian Staffing, where she has fielded as many as 500 applications for one opening. There's a sense that this is a booming industry that's fun and interesting, with a lot of opportunities to move up quickly. Hourly pay at dispensaries, she said, runs from $12 to $15, in line with most retail and warehouse jobs. But given the newness of the industry, entry-level workers can often move up in less than a year to more specialized positions, she said. That surge in cannabis hiring has put pressure on traditional employers to ease drug testing requirements. Amazon, the nation's largest second largest, I'm sorry, private employer, said in June that it would stop screening employees for cannabis use and would support federal legalization to legalize cannabis. A number of other employers, yeah, because they'll probably be selling it. 
right? True. <laughs> At some point. A number of other employers, including retailers, restaurants, and city governments, have also dropped such requirements in an effort to attract workers in a labor market where o- job openings outpace the number of unemployed Americans. Workers' rights groups are pressing for broader unionization in the cannabis industry, calling it a critical time to establish well-paying jobs with proper protections. With the right policies, they say, the industry could become a pipeline to middle-class jobs, much like the manufacturing industry used to be. It is so rare to have an opportunity to shape an industry from its inception, said David Cooper, an analyst for the Economic Policy Institute, a left-leaning think tank. There is an urgency to establish guardrails now for well-paying, middle-class jobs before cannabis is legalized federally and really takes off. Otherwise, these jobs could quickly start to look like existing retail and agriculture jobs, which are oftentimes the most, I'm sorry, the worst jobs in the economy. Legalization efforts have swept through the country since California began allowing medical marijuana use 25 years ago. I know I said the word marijuana. And let me just make a comment about that. That if if we continue using the word marijuana in some way, it's it's derogatory. It was part of the war on drugs and the term marijuana is just dated. And so we can call it weed, we can call it pot, we can call you can call it marijuana. It a lot of people will. The, it also depends on the spelling too. I know, but it's a word. Right. We, it, what, no matter how it's spelled, we say marijuana, right? And a lot of articles use the word marijuana still, or they flex back and forth between cannabis and marijuana, pot or weed. I make an effort when I'm going through and editing my notes to try to take the marijuana term out just because I feel like it is kind of a thing of the past. Most people don't refer to it as marijuana, unless you're like an anti person, if you're really against it, right? So because they're talking, they're referring back to when California went legal, it is kind of appropriate to use the term marijuana because that's what they would have called it then. So back to I wasn't judging. Oh, I thought you gave me like a stink eye. No, No? I didn't give you the stink eye. I saw saw an eyebrow go up. I just looked over at you because you said an interesting fact. He's like... She said it. She said that word. <laughs> I, I swear I saw that. I did not. All right. So <laughs> most most U.S. states, 37 of them, plus the district, the District of Columbia, uh, now allow medical use, with a growing number of them legalizing the drug altogether. As a result, business is soaring. Sales of legal cannabis grew nearly 60% to $19 billion last year. And it's expected to balloon to $41 billion by 2025. Damn. According to Wall Street research firm Cowan. For Zokal, this is that Walgreens pharmacist, the cannabis industry became a reprieve from the stresses of work for a national retail chain, where his 10-hour shifts often stretched to 12 or 13 hours. By the time he left in April, he was administering 30 to 40 coronavirus vaccines a day while trying to keep up with his usual duties. Plus, he said there was a constant pressure to increase sales and fill prescriptions as quickly as possible. As a salaried manager, he didn't receive overtime pay and said it had been at least four years since he had gotten a raise. By not moving up, I felt like I was essentially moving backward, said Vogel. Now, one of 10,000 cannabis workers represented by the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, um, people were quitting left and right, and I was being asked to do a lot more than I could physically do. So, 
That's his story. Uh, Fraser Angerman, a spokesman for Walgreens, said the company has increased hiring during the pandemic and it is expanding its budget for pharmacy operations and training. We are committed to increasing support for our pharmacists so they may continue providing excellent patient care, he said. You should have did that in an angry voice because his last name was Angerman. <laughs> no, it wasn't. What It was Inger, Anger, Anger, oh, and anger. E-N. <laughs> Angry man. That's his name. Angry man. <laughs> Labor economists say the cannabis industry has become defined by a desire to create favorable working conditions, both to attract employees and to gain broader legitimacy. Many employers also feel additional pressure to treat workers well. Given that growing and selling cannabis is still illegal at a federal level, said Raymond Holger, Hogler, a professor at Colorado State University who studies cannabis labor relations. There are many issues working with marijuana, dust, safety, safety concerns, dangers of harvesting the plant itself, he said. And frankly, there's extra pressure to treat workers well because the industry wants to show that it provides good, solid employment. Some employees, though, say the work can be physically grueling and low paying. Devin Dorham, 28, took a job at a medical dispensary in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, early in the pandemic. After his last gig at a pet food warehouse, he was excited to work directly with customers. But Dorham, who is black, said he often felt sidelined in his workplace, where all the managers were white. A couple of months in, a national conglomerate bought the dispensary, adding to the disconnect between executives and workers. He quit after eight months and now works for a pest control service. I liked going to work and feeling like I was really helping people, like I was finally in a field where I could build a career, he said. But from everything I've seen, there wasn't much diversity. There were managers who were willing to help me move up in the company, but it just didn't happen. Last fall, Brianna Price left her job as a grocery stalker to become a bud tender, an industry term for a sales employee at a dispensary. She's been promoted three times in the year she's worked there and now oversees all purchasing and a staff of nine. Good for her. I really wanted to take my time during COVID to reevaluate my life and make a career change, said Prince. Price. I'm sorry. Price. Uh, she's 31 from Midland, Michigan. Uh, at the Empire collective in Loomis, Michigan, where she works, sales have more than doubled in the last year to roughly $500,000 a month, according to co-owner Mario Porter. He's expanded his dispensary staff from 7 to 12 and expects to hire more this year. Many of his new employees, he said, come from retail jobs that they left during the pandemic. He has dozens of applications on his desk and hundreds more that were submitted online. This summer has been exceptional, he said. The majority of my employees come from retail backgrounds because they understand the most important part of this job, to listen to customers and meet their needs. In South Bend, Indiana, Ashlyn Marshall, 28, recently quit her full-time job with an RV manufacturer to work part-time at a dispensary. Her struggles with anxiety during the pandemic made her realize a work-life balance meant more than money. She earns fourteen fifty an hour compared with sixteen at her last job. I was getting cussed out by customers every day while doing the job of three people, she said. It was complete burnout. In her new role, she said, the tone among managers and employees is calmer and friendlier. Management is a lot more human, she said. If I make a mistake and I apologize, the general vibe is, it's okay. We all make mistakes. Let's fix this together. And I've never had that before. So it's it's interesting just to see all yeah. these people shifting, making changes in their careers. And, and going back to 
hearing, you know, you have people that enjoy the, the industry and you have people that, are, that have gotten into and gotten out to it because mm-hmm. they didn't enjoy the industry. Yeah. It just depends, you know. I mean, it's as much as we all love cannabis, the cannabis community, it's still a job. Mm-hmm. Now, depends on how much you love cannabis enough to where you want to be a part of it business-wise or you just enjoy the effects of cannabis and what it does for you and your body and well, and think about it too, mentally like, and stuff like that. Not everybody can be a waitress or a bartender. No. Right? Nope. So think about being a bud tender. It's much like being a bartender. You have to know your menu. You yep. have to know there's a lot of knowledge behind that, and you have to be quick and resourceful. And so I think that tends to be like the entry-level job of cannabis, right? If you're going into a dispensary, you're going to become a bud tender first and work your way up. But it is pretty knowledge intensive there's there is quite a bit and then there's ever changing products so then you are constantly being inundated with new information and new things that you have to it's not that you're just selling flour anymore it's not yeah you know you're selling edibles you're selling tinctures you're selling uh uh, cartridges you're selling oils extra well there's constantly new brands yeah and you have to know what those effects are for all of them now you have to know the terpene profiles on a lot of you know there's a lot that goes into it. It's not yeah, an so easy industry. So it's not going to be a job for everybody. No, not at all. Uh, the biggest challenges the cannabis industry will face beyond 2021. While things are improving, it's time to look ahead and plan for the future. No matter where you live in the United States, it's safe to say the cannabis industry has come a long way in the past couple of decades. Back toward the beginning of the new millennium, if I told you that recreational cannabis would be legal in 18 states and the medical cannabis would be permitted in 37 states, you would have most likely laughed in, in this writer's face and told him to take a hike. <laughs> if, if you were a cop back then, you might have even had me arrested and charged with possession. But all jokes aside, today cannabis is, in fact, legal in many U.S. states for both medicinal and recreational use, as well as in other countries such as Canada, South Africa, Netherlands, and more. But despite the widespread legalization of cannabis in both the U.S. and abroad, the industry still has a long road ahead in itself of terms in establishing itself as the titan that the mighty truly will become. But what changes, trends, and challenges should we expect to see in the coming years, especially as new laws and regulations are continually developing the effects consumers' buying habits and the overall sales and profitability of owning a business in the cannabis industry today? In the following, uh, what we're about to read are some of the biggest challenges that experts predict that will dominate the cannabis industry in 2021 and beyond. Industry predictions for cannabis in 2021 and beyond. As the cannabis industry continues to develop, the industry is only expected to grow and see much strength in the coming years, while experts predicting that the market value could reach $30 billion by 2025. In, in legalized states and jurisdictions worldwide where pot has been deemed legal, laws surrounding the production, distribution, and sale of wholesale cannabis will continue to dominate the news. However, before we see the market stabilize, we should still expect to see a lot of volatility in the industry-level laws and regulations, especially with jurisdictions such as the U.S., where different states have different rules regarding cannabis, yet it's still considered illegal at the federal level. With the paradox, cannabis companies should expect a lot of change in the coming years regarding regulations. Startup funding, cannabis financing, and banking will continue to be ongoing concerns for countless smaller businesses in the industry, especially as cannabis awareness continues to rise and the industry establishes itself as an addictions industry, right along with tobacco and alcohol industries. I kind of don't agree with that, but... But even with these challenges ahead, experts believe that the overall outlook of the cannabis industry remains sound and the investors, businesses, and consumers alike should only expect to see more signs of strength in the future. The importance of controlling the cannabis industry. 
Many pot advocates would have you believe that the government should not be involved there, uh, there or anyone else uh, cannabis use. They might even have you believe that the government is only legalizing it because they want a cut of the market. However, the truth is that regu regulations are crucial to keep keeping both consumers and cannabis companies safe. And today, there are just as many pot advocates that believe that enhancing better laws and regulations is the only way to make the industry a safe place for both consumers and cannabis companies to coexist peacefully. In the U.S., before cannabis being decriminalized in, in states such as Washington and Colorado, there were very few, if any, laws regarding the production, processing, or sale of cannabis and cannabis products. Today, on the other hand, there are many laws and regulations in place to oversee the sale of cannabis in legalized jurisdictions. And with this, consumers are getting the benefits of uh, access to better, higher quality cannabis products than ever before and more variety in terms of cannabis products that are readily available from brands and dispensaries. Along with this, we also expect the consumers will develop an increased awareness surrounding cannabis and, and cannabis-related products. The increased awareness will eventually lead to pot brands and companies being required to adapt to changing consumer behaviors, resulting in economic boosts to other sub-industries such as manufacturing, distribution, marketing, and advertising, e-commerce, and many more that will rush to, into cash in the mergers with the booming cannabis industry. Boosting the Economy of a Pot there's also much good to be said about regulating the industry when you consider the tax profits and proceeds for cannabis sales are single-handedly helping boost local, national, and global economies. In the U.S. alone, just in the past couple of years since legalization, states like Washington and Colorado have seen better sales than predicted, resulting in rather handsome tax, re tax revenues being generated. In Colorado, the state collected more than $302 million in fees and taxes from cannabis sales in 2019. The set same year, experts estimate sales in the entire continental U.S. are roughly of $12.2 billion. What's more is that beyond 2021 cannabis sales in the U.S. are expected to reach up to $31.1 billion by the end of 2024 and into 2025. For countries such as the U.S., the cannabis industry is poised to become a sector that can help the national economy recover from uncertain economic conditions left in the wake of COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, according to New Frontier, the cannabis company suggested that federal legal pot could generate more than a million jobs and additional $105.6 billion in aggregate federal tax revenue by 2025. Holy smokes. Um, but even with such impressive predictions in the future, there's still a lot of work to be done for the cannabis industry as a whole. The challenges ahead. Whether a farmer, wholesaler, retailer, consumer, lover, or hater, the laws and regulations that continue to shape the industry will affect everyone. As a growing number of states and international jurisdictions develop their industries, businesses should expect to see changing regulations surrounding the import and export of cannabis products, resulting in potential price fluctuations at an industry level. Consumers should be see, uh, see fluctuating cannabis prices, but in general, countries such as Canada have seen an overall decline in cannabis prices since it first legalized pot back in 2018. We also believe that the ongoing development of the cannabis industry will continue to see an increase in business mergers and acquisitions with business from other sectors, such as alcohol, tobacco, food, and beverage industries. It's actually happening now. For instance, it would, uh, wouldn't be all unexpected to see restaurants and other establishments serving cannabis products in the future, much in the same way beer, wine, and different kinds of alcohol are served. Oh, I hope so. All of this will likely uh, add to both the volatility and the strength of the industry in the future. In the end, the main challenge uh, the industry should expect to see in 2021 will focus on laws and regulations surrounding the production, distribution, and sale of cannabis, as well as laws and regulations surrounding business funding and financing of cannabis-related businesses. But despite the possibility of fluctuating prices and all of the regulatory challenges ahead, industry observers should expect to see nothing but better production, better sales, more revenue, and safer products for consumers in the coming years. Looking toward the future.
As every day goes by, thousands of cannabis activists worldwide continue to lobby to reform and new rules and regulations that will make the industry safer and more accessible to everyone, including consumers and cannabis companies alike. And overall, this article believes that the industry will remain strong, seeing consistent growth throughout 2021 and 2022 and possibly beyond. But there are many obstacles still ahead for cannabis businesses, brands, and consumers in the U.S. and abroad. Still, it's safe to say that the cannabis industry remains healthy and will continue to boom for the time being. Oh, man. New York's Cannabinoid Institute offers free medical cannabis training to 100 med students. Good for New York. IRS debuts initiative to help cannabis companies pay taxes properly. The IRS launched a program amid helping businesses and state uh, legal cannabis markets to pay their federal taxes properly under the 280E, the uh, erroneous section of the U.S. tax code that disallows standard deductions for such businesses. The crazy thing about this— So wait a minute. How are they paying taxes? Everybody's got to pay. Everybody's got to pay. It's illegal. It doesn't matter. They're still taking taxes. The IRS is still going to fucking take their money. I just thought that companies were setting funds aside, like in the case that the feds. They're getting about five billion dollars right now a a year. IRS. I just thought that this money was just being categorized and and packed away because you can't even put the money through a bank. So how do you pay? That's interesting. Caesar will always get his money. Yes, yes. <laughs> ain't, ain't, ain't that the truth, right? It's illegal, but we want your money. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Jeez. So they're always going to get their money. Uh, California adopts updated rules for cannabis industry. The California Department of Cannabis Control said Wednesday formally adopted an updated set of regulations for the state of, of cannabis market effective immediately. According to the new release, the consolidated rules created consistent standards for cannabis licenses across all license types by aligning application requirements, uh, unifying terminology, and clarifying ownership and financial interest requirements. The updated regulations also include guidelines on how licensed businesses can legal share trade uh, samples of cannabis goods inside the supply chain a major change that many companies have been waiting. Uh, the new uh, regulations, you can go to California, uh, uh, the DCC, uh, the update stems from the consolidation of the three state agencies, which oversaw different sectors of California's cannabis industry. Uh, and they made it into a single bureaucracy. The DCC was established in July. We are working towards simplifying regulatory requirements, making it easier to operate with the legal market, uh, Nicole Elliott, director of the DCC, said in the release. The approval of the regulations puts uh, them one step closer to meeting their objectives. All right. Good for you, California. Here's something that sucks. As much as I'm so positive about New York and what they did with cannabis and you could smoke it on the streets and not get in trouble, they fucking missed the deadline for cannabis home growers, hmm. medical cannabis home grow. And there's a lot of people that are frustrated. And they want to see this changed. So come on, New York, you've been doing so good. Don't let us down. Uh, protecting the cannabis industry from federal legalization, is it even possible to stop the corporate takeover? How do we protect the cannabis industry from a corporate takeover, or is it even possible? Federal cannabis legalization is well on its way. There are federal cannabis bills inching closer to being approved, which would end the seven-decade war on cannabis. The MORE Act is, at its dubbed, would remove cannabis from the Controlled Substance Act and would effectively legalize the industry on a federal scale. One might think its entire cannabis industry would welcome such a change. However, not everybody shares the excitement. In fact, some business owners are quite worried about the future, especially smaller business owners are worried about their place in the future of the cannabis industry. A recent 
uh, political articles uh, shed some light on the concerns of the business owners as expressed in this quote. It's going to open up a tidal wave of large operators, sucking up all the capital in the capital markets and essentially rendering social equity participants unable to even get funded, said Aaron Goines, a co-owner of Emerald Turtle, social equity-owned cannabis delivery company in Massachusetts. In general, for social equity, I think it would be a disaster uh, at this point for the federal legalization to occur. This is a sentiment echoed by farmers and smaller business owners who have been burdened with high taxes, inability to bank, and many other hurdles that these giant corporations would not have to worry about under federal legalization scheme. However, on the other hand, federal legalization has come to one point in time, and for other cannabis businesses, the lack of federal jurisdiction means a lot of their products are sitting on shelves and not being sold. California overproduces a lot of uh, the stock cannabis gets sold in illegal markets. There are millions of dollars of lost tax revenue each day that the federal prohibition inhibits the option of interstate commerce. Furthermore, with Mexico and Canada already having some more of legal cannabis on the books on national level, the United States is missing a piece of the intention of transitional cannabis commerce. Um, this puts the cannabis firms in an awkward position. Legalize federally and potentially get gobbled up by large conglomerates or continue to pay the high burden of doing business with a pseudo-legal environment. The pros of federal legalization. The cannabis industry is a weird place. The majority of U.S. states have legalized cannabis in one way or another. And every every passing year, it seems another state pushes for legalization. However, with federal prohibition still in the books, there are several hindrances the industry faces. Lack of traditional banking. Due to the anti-money laundering bank, banking laws, banks cannot do business with legitimate cannabis businesses because of the illegality of cannabis on a federal level. Since cannabis is considered a Schedule One drug, accepting any form of payment or holding any money for a cannabis firm is technically money laundering. Of course, HSBC can do this with the legitimate cartels and get a fine. But if any bank dared to do business with a legal business, it would be breaking the, canna- breaking the law. Wait a minute. Could you repeat a couple of those I, sentences? I will. Of course... Of course, the HSBC mm-hmm. can do business with legitimate cartels and get a fine. Hmm. But if any bank dare do business with a legal yeah. business, it would be breaking the law. Breaking okay. the law. But again, the, the IRS law. can take tax yeah, income. It's all fucked up. But a bank can't it's put the money fu- in it. It's yeah. all fucked up. But they can take it from a cartel, though, from a legitimate cartel business. Jeez. <laughs> Lack of taxation benefits. Unlike traditional businesses, since cannabis is not seen as a legal federal commodity, you can't really get the same tax breaks a regular business would get. That means the cannabis business pay exuberant amount of money to the federal government without getting any of the benefits. This is because they still have to pay federal taxes on employees, but can't take any cuts for the same reason. The reduction of costs will affect the overall cost of cannabis and benefits the end user. Interstate commerce. As mentioned, once legal states like California will be able to sell to other states, that would Im- immediately solve the problem of overproduction. Something that happens on the western states. The one thing about that, and I'd like to see interstate commerce, but I have a feeling a lot of the states they don't want to see operators it. may or may not want to see that. The only way I could see them doing it, if they have a cultivation in California, they have an overabundance where they could ship it to Illinois. Yeah. That could help them out. But I, I, I I'm kind of they iffy. don't want to see their business walk across the border, that, right? Yeah. It would be very interesting. International commerce. Mexico, the U.S., and Canada would become the first ever cannabis trade alliance in the world. This would immediately have an impact on the cost of cannabis products and elevate the industry into a high, into the high billions, if not trillion-dollar-per-year industry, as was speculated by popular mechanics in 1937. Damn. Worker protection. With federal legalization, a natural step would be unionization of cannabis workers. This means that you'd be able to get federal benefits for working in the cannabis industry. 
Migration. Currently, due to the legality of cannabis, migrants are prohibited from using cannabis. If a migrant uh, admits to using cannabis, even if it's legal in their country, the U.S. has a legal obligation to deny their entry. Moving cannabis from the CSA would solve this problem. There are probably hundreds of other issues that wasn't mentioned in this article. Nonetheless, there are some of the major benefits of the industry at large and solve the national policy issues. The cons of federal legalization. We gave you the pros, but I cannot not give you the pros without what, Mrs. Weedman? The cons. The cons. As mentioned at the beginning of the article, one of the biggest concerns in the major corporation would suddenly be able to gobble up local markets. This would have a negative impact on social equity aspects of legalization. Here are a few potential negatives of legalization. Corporatism. The initial fear of corporations taking over the cannabis industry has already begun in, the w- in one way or another. Unless we provide some regulatory inclusion, such as being able to have a farmer's market, national laws and allowing individuals to grow weed, and cheap entry-level cannabis business licenses, at one point or another, there will only be corporate cannabis on the legal market. <laughs> in that corporatism, I've mentioned a lot of that. I've talked about farmer's markets. I've talked about letting people have small businesses out of their home and grow. A lot. I mean, that would help out a lot. I digress. Higher taxes. Adding a federal tax to the state taxes will elevate the cost slightly, but if there is a surplus of cannabis, they may drive the price per gram down. Stricter regulations. Don't be surprised with extra regulations are passed on cannabis. This is how the federal government makes its money. Also, don't forget if they put it into the Alcohol Tobacco Bureau, it'll be the Alcohol Tobacco Marijuana Bureau, and it, all those laws will be into play, and it's not fun. Stricter regulations. Don't be surprised. What regulations passed on cannabis is how the federal government makes its money. Like I said, poor policy decisions. Once the conversation goes federal, there will be a giant lobby uh, lobbies fighting to bend the law according to their benefit. Policymakers are currently uh, very informed on cannabis, so whoever throws them the biggest bone will most probably get their attention. This could shape the industry into something that no one is intended. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Prohibition 2.0, this is already happening. A significant crackdown on legal grows will happen since uh, that would compete with the legal market. Hence, the idea of creating a farmer's market would keep the integrity of local cultivation intact. I will say this. There's been so many busts, so many farms and cal- illegal grows in a lot of states right now. There was one. They just busted another. They're saying it's the largest with over 500,000 plants. Somebody in Florida just got busted with two point million, two point. million worth of cannabis in a locker. It's coming down. And here's what I'm going to tell you. With all the big businesses or small businesses or everybody paying taxes, they are going to – the government and the state governments and the local governments are going to start pressing harder on illegal. They want their tax dollars. They want their money. So don't think that – I mean it's been insane how much I've been seeing. So here's the sticky bottom line. Federal legalization is coming one way or another. However, how it plays out will be interesting development to observe. It's critically important, however, to think that the average Jane and Joe and to create a space for independent local businesses to compete with giant corporations. After all, cannabis is the counterculture drug if it gets swallowed up by major corporations. It would seem that everybody lost the war on drugs except corporate America. Fuck you, corporate cannabis. (laughs) That's all I got to say. Oh, man. Illinois... Their sales are nearly $1 billion in the month of September. A little down. Not much, though. In-state sales was $81,686,864. Out-of-state sales, $40,030,844. A total of $121,000,000. 
$717,709.51. Slightly down, like I'm talking about like one less than 1% from August. But we ain't catching up to those July numbers at 127 million. <laughs> Not anytime soon unless we have another Lollapalooza passing by. Oh, man. Good job, Illinois. Oklahoma medical marijuana uh, chief calls for inspectors uh, for more inspectors and regulations. Don't fuck it up, Oklahoma, because you got a lot of stuff going on for next year. You're putting it, you want it on the ballot. You're getting signatures right now. I understand you need more inspectors, but don't, man, that, your market is great. Just don't fuck it up. Oh, man, that's all I got to say. Uh, Arkansas is paved the way for the final dispensary license to be issued. Good for you, Arkansas. Uh, in New York, there's a little bit of a loophole, and this little loophole is allowing this company called Elmira Business to gift weed to customers. You buy a sticker for a certain price, and you get gifted some weed, and it's totally 100% legal. Look it up, read it, start your own business. Do it. That's all I got to say, but be careful. What are the next steps? To, uh, the next states legalize recreational cannabis in 2022. Very interesting. The wind of cannabis legalization. In the United States, there's a point where even masses want cannabis legalization for recreational use. Just this year alone, about four states made cannabis legal. New York, Virginia, Connecticut, New Mexico. So, here are states that are expected to legalize cannabis. Ready? Maryland. The decision of recreational cannabis legalization will be put before the registered voters during the midterm election. Uh, Adrian Jones, the state house speaker, has assured the measure will be on the 2022 ballot. Make sure any state I mention here, if it's your state and you want to see it recreational uh, or medicinal, reach out to your state representatives. You know, uh, Oklahoma cannabis advocates in the state are pushing hard to ensure that they get the recreational cannabis initiative on the 2022 ballot. Delaware, patients have had access to activated medicinal cannabis programs since 2011. Earlier this year, two houses representatives filed a bill to legalize the use of uh, cannabis for recreational purposes. The legislature failed to take up the bill and instead chose to postpone the floor vote to early 2022. The next legislative session is slated for January 2022. Missouri, the lawmakers are currently moving to revise the current medicinal medical program. It is also planning to place a referendum on voters to approve adult use cannabis in the midterm elections next year. Wyoming attempt was made to legislate the past regulation bill in 2020. It fell through. Cannabis advocates are just gotten approval from the state to referendum before the voters' ballot of 2022. Ohio, they're looking to it. I've mentioned them before. Arkansas, the decision for recreational laws will be made by voters in the cannabis advocacy group. Arkansas True Grass are successful in collecting the required signatures to get the initiative on the ballot. So that's a lot of states. Hopefully it happens. We need you. Mrs. Weedman. Yep. You get motion sickness, don't you, on boats? I do, sometimes. Do you yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Pretty <laughs> much, yeah. Yeah, but you... <laughs> it's not motion sickness, unless I'm, like, out deep. When I've gone deep-sea fishing, I've gotten motion sickness. You're right. hanging over the side of the boat, and you're barfing. And there's no coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but when I go on dizzy, spinny rides, then I get a different kind of motion sickness. I don't get vomity. I just am spinning and feel funky. So, interestingly enough, this really just pretty much makes sense. Medical cannabis can be used to ease chemotherapy, as we know, chemotherapy-induced nausea. Um, but research has shown that it can also help with motion-induced nausea as well. I mean, that's, 
That seems sensible, right? Very sensible. Uh, one of the conditions that takes the fun out of trips and journeys is motion sickness. Whether the journey is by sea, land, or air, motion sickness makes it unbearable for some people. And it can affect persons of any age, both old and young, can suffer from it. Medications exist for motion sickness, but it does not work effectively for everyone. An effective alternative to these medications that a lot of people are unaware of is cannabis. Motion sickness occurs when conflicting messages are sent to your central nervous system, resulting in a confused brain. Hmm. These conflicting messages could come from any of the senses, eyes, ears, nerves, in your body, as a result of the inability to properly detect movement. For example, if your eyes cannot see the movement, it might send a signal that there is movement to your brain. If your other senses can feel the movement and send the information to your brain, it leaves the brain confused. Motion sickness can occur on a plane, car, train, as well as a boat or ship, and it can turn what promised to be a fun trip into an absolute nightmare. There are three major types of motion sickness. Air sickness, which usually occurs when traveling in an aircraft, including airplanes, helicopters, gliders, jets. I would put roller coasters on there, too. Right, right. Yeah. Then there's cars. I know you've gotten whiplash yeah. in a roller coaster before. <laughs> and then you've got car sickness, which is typically um, a result of moving in a vehicle on land, mostly a car. And there's seasickness, which occurs on water, usually in boats and ships. Motion sickness can be classified into three categories based on the source of the trigger. Motion sickness that is triggered by motion that you cannot see, but you can feel. Motion sickness that is triggered by motion that you can see, but cannot feel. And motion sickness that is triggered when your auditory and visual systems detect different types of motion. The symptoms of motion sickness are usually not too serious, but they can great, cause great uneasiness. The common symptoms of motion sickness include sweating, shortness of breath, drowsiness, nausea, and vomiting, pale skin, and yawning. While the symptoms of motion sickness are not serious, regular occurrence of these conditions result in more serious issues like fear of travel. There are two classes of people that have the highest risk of suffering from motion sickness, pregnant women and children. Others can also stand a high risk of motion sickness if they are dealing with anxiety and fear of travel, uh, using an unfamiliar mode of traveling, poor ventilation in a vehicle, or having no access to a window and being unable to see the motion. So how can cannabis help with motion sickness? In recent years, medical cannabis has been suggested by advocates as a possible remedy for motion sickness. It is used to ease chemotherapy-induced nausea, and research has shown it can help with motion-induced nausea as well. Two cannabinoids contained in cannabis, CBD and THC, are known to be active receptors in the human body. These cannabinoids reduce the, rele the release of the body chemicals that cause nausea, thereby easing the discomfort that comes with motion sickness. Cannabis helps with motion sickness by treating the symptoms. Some of these symptoms include headaches, stress, anxiety, nausea, vomiting, and drowsiness. What are the best strains for motion sickness? There are both sativa and indica strains that work well for motion sickness, albeit having different functionality. Indica strains help you relax while sativa strains energize you. Here are some of the best strains for motion sickness. We've got Grandmaster Kush, which is an indica dominant strain that helps people with anxiety, nausea, pain, stress, as well as a lack of appetite. 
Blue Dream, which is another indica-dominant strain that helps with uneasiness, stress, and pain, as well as nausea. Sour Diesel, which is a sativa-dominant strain, eases migraines and stops nausea. Super Haze Lemon is another sativa-dominant strain that helps to ease anxiety and settle a troubled stomach. And Durban Poison, which is a sativa-dominant strain that helps with loss of appetite and nausea. There are popular, popular ways of consuming cannabis, like smoking and vaping, that are not ideal for traveling. The best means of consuming cannabis for motion sickness include tinctures, and they're really just referring to the ease of portability. Like, you can't necessarily smoke a joint in public, so it's not to say that you couldn't consume these things via smoking, right? right. It's just that they're making mention of traveling here, so... Go ahead and smoke if that works. But if you can't smoke, a tincture, which is a form of cannabis taken sublingually, you place a few drops under your tongue before your trip. Uh, topicals, which include oils, balms, and lotions that can be rubbed on your body before the trip. Or edibles, which we talk about all the time. Uh, edibles are a type of cannabis that are consumed in oral form, such as gummies, cookies. Uh, there's... The options of edibles are endless right now, um, and they can be eaten anywhere, obviously. Uh, you could also use a transdermal patch. This method involves the infusion of cannabis into the bloodstream. And they go on to say that before you buy cannabis for your motion sickness, make sure that it's legal in your state and the one that you might be traveling to, because as you know, you can't take your cannabis into or across state lines if your state is legal and your neighboring state where you're going to visit isn't. Uh, just watch what you do. So that's it. I'm going to try this, actually. Yeah. I, you know, I get dizzy super easily. Um, so I think, uh, and then dizziness. I wonder, can, I, can I mention the one yeah. time when you had the, the vertigo? Yeah. I already did. Sorry. You already did. <laughs> Wait, this has become like a platform for Susan's health. Yeah, tonight. <laughs> no, I feel like in general we're talking about me and all my health. I'm a very healthy person. Yes. You know. But you did get vertigo um, one time. I, I wonder. I wonder if that would have helped. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, ever since I had vertigo, which was about 15 years ago, our kids were young. And... It knocked me. I had, I thought I was dying. I got, I fell. I got out of bed, stood up, and completely fell. I was so dizzy I couldn't even stand up. And then that was two weeks of laying on a couch with my eyes closed because any any bit of opening my eye meant like the world around me was spinning faster than I could even keep up with. It was insane. I couldn't even sit up straight. Yeah. And then there was the months after that of just. Um, my equilibrium just wasn't right. Like anything moving in my periphery, uh, like my peripheral vision was just threw me for, for loops. Um, so ever since that one episode of vertigo, I have a very, um, I'm just very susceptible to motion sickness. So I'm going to try this and I will report later, but I can't say that I'll try it and go on a roller coaster. <laughs> my last experience on a roller coaster I did not take Dramamine soon enough that would be pretty daring to like smoke a joint smoke a joint and go on a, go on a roller coaster I've smoked a joint I'd be screaming double bloody murder <laughs> and then I, I might be really I dizzy smoked, I lit up a joint yeah going up the roller coaster oh, that would be fun and smoked it on the way up oh jeez and oh then, my god I would be and screaming and then we were passing it on the way down Oh, geez. And How would you way, hold on to it? We held on to you it. You think you're going to die. We passed it all the way back. There was like four what? rows of us. That's and insane. It was amazing. Anyone get ash in their face? Who cares? I don't Burned? know. I don't know. 
Don't even don't uh, even remember. All I wow. remember is that I had a joint and I lit I it up know. going I don't know up. If I could do it. It was amazing. I'm I'm it's it's a a love hate not really a love. I like hate relationship that I have with roller coasters. <laughs> the whole time I'm in line I'm stressing out. <laughs> Thinking I should back out, you talking myself into staying. Smoke a joint in line, and then I go. I get on the roller coaster, and I just think I'm gonna die. Oh I, man! I think I should have just become a like a uh, mechanical engineer so that I can understand. <laughs> I have this fear of things that I don't understand. So being on a roller coaster and thinking it's gonna fall off the track, I don't know that weed would be good for me on a roller coaster. I think you'd be great. I gotta think about that. All right. I think I'll just try a joint and spin around a few times and oh, see if I'm nauseous. Oh, no. Don't do that. <laughs> well, we'll figure that out later. I'll report back if I ever have this, if I'm able to do this, and it works. <laughs> International news. Yeah. Dr. Michellum, uh has discovered another cannabinoid uh, with the cannabinoid acid menthol called EPM-301 back in 2020, and they introduced it. And now it's patented compound, synthetic, fully stable, acid-based cannabinoid molecules cause a wave of excitement around the future of medicinal cannabis. The compound in question was presented to the world in partnership with EPM, a global biotechnology company based in the U.S. that aims to bridge the gap between the cannabis and pharmaceutical industries. Meet EPM-301. EPM developed a method to work with the original substance of cannabis, the professor explained. So while everybody's discussing THC and CBD, these cannabinoids are actually a secondary substance that only appear later in the plant. Originally, there was an acid that appears in the plant, and those acids are these mysterious world of compounds that are much more potent than cannabinoids, he added. However, these cannabinoid acids were unstable and therefore useless in the pharmaceutical drug development, until now, that is. Michellum's recent revelation stems from the development of the method that allows to modify the acids in the ways that keeps them stable enough to allow for their large-scale use. This opens the door for further pharmaceutical experiments, the professor explained. We look at the canal, cannabidol acid and we step, stabilized it by a simple chemical procedure called esterification. Then the compound is stable, Suiza explained. The team then sta uh, started looking at the activities of the compound and found that the particular compound causes suppression of anxiety and suppression of nausea. He continued, adding that this could make a huge difference in cancer patients on chemotherapy as well as patients with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, or cirrhosis. Uh, innovating at 88, the CBD and THC can help with a long list of conditions from inflammation and anxiety to depression and nausea has been known for quite some time now. In fact, Michelin was possibly the most significant academic to shed the light on active principles of the cannabis plant back in the 1960s when his work at the Wiseman Institute led to discover the human endocannabinoid system, crowning him the father of cannabis research. But at 88 years old, research's newest discovery presents the, uh, the cannabolytic acid as far as more potent compound than CBD or THC with no known negative side effects. We badly need... Sorry about that, everybody. I lost my place. We badly need new drugs and several diseases, and some of the drugs that are available may be pretty good, but they ultimately cause side effects. He said, referencing most non-natural farmer drugs, where, uh, which are semi-synthetic at best. We have two groups of compounds today that need to be have replacement. Though these are steroids and opioids. We believe that cannabis carries the ability to introduce replacement to these families. Pretty good shit, man. That dude's a, 
Amazing. Companies should be careful that, uh, when they're taking compounds and claiming therapeutics. They need to do it in accordance with regulations in order to create consistency in the language because people confuse recreational use with the medicinal use and aren't necessarily looking for a specific indication with specific do- doses. He ended. So, Michellum, keep on going, man. You're 88 and still finding shit out. It's amazing. Uh, top Mexican senator lays out next steps for national cannabis legalization. Let's go, Mexico. Been waiting for a couple of years now. Let's do it. Uh, High Tide acquires majority of UK brand Blessed CBD for $12.4 million. Uh, UK, man, your, your laws out there are crazy when it comes to cannabis. You know, I got a lot of people and, and friends out there that send me some pics. You guys are doing a great job out there, man. Just, uh, you know, keep on fighting the good fight for cannabis out there. Uh, New Zealand Medical Cannabis Agency reminder end of medicinal cannabis scheme transitional or arrangements for existing products on, on uh, in September 30th of 2021 from October 1st of 2021 all medicinal cannabis products imported and manufactured in New Zealand must be verified as meeting the medicinal cannabis quality standards before they can be supplied in New Zealand. This applies to CBD products as well as medicinal cannabis products containing uh, THC and other specified specified substances. I always get that word wrong when I'm high. <laughs> always, you always look. Yeah. I can't even. I can't even say it the way you say it. What is saying again? I can't. I probably will screw it up. Specified. I think you Spe- say. <laughs> How about this? Specified. No. <laughs> That's not even a word either. I shouldn't have took that third hit. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> Importers should be aware that they are unverified products they hold from October from uh, October 1st cannot be supplied. Further information on the medicinal cannabis quality standards can be found in the Ministry of Health website. So, uh, go New Zealand, man. Let's go. You're wearing some pretty clothes right now, Mrs. Yeah. Bead, man. Actually, I have to say what at the wedding... Happened? I have to say at the wedding... Yeah. Your clothing style was banging my clothing style for everything the you wore that whole week when we were in key west that's just because i belong there i need to live there banging i'm just in my i'm in my zone when i'm there but what i wish all our clothes were made out of hemp oh wouldn't that be amazing be amazing it will be one day tell right? us about it i will that was a nice little segue weren't you in the middle of an article done you started something done are you sure? I finished it. All about New Zealand. Wow. Nice One day little, I will nice go to New Zealand. In. One day I will go to Australia. We will. We will. One day we will go. We'll get there. Yes. I don't think they oh, want to us there Oh, right to all some peeps down in Australia, thanks for sending me some awesome uh, videos of what you're growing down there. Some cool-ass shit. Thanks, Australia. We can't travel there right now, right? Um, I don't think that anybody, any non-citizens can come in. I don't know. Hopefully. I don't even think. Because of you, COVID restrictions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. But all I know is when We're it going, shits we are back, going there back I'm, that's, yeah. your, that's always been yeah. your dream. And I want to spend two weeks in both countries. Whoa. Yeah. That's a big vacation. Yes, it's a long one. I better make some money. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream. Everybody hey, can dream. You can dream. Don't, Save. Don't Might stop take us ten. Might take us 10 years to get there. It's all right. But I'm getting there one it's day. all right. So, hemp clothing. Did you know that it could save the world? I think it really could. Um, according to a study conducted by NASA, pandemic restrictions reduce global nitrogen dioxide concentrations by nearly 20%. Whew. Damn. That was huge, right? That's a big number. Yeah. It's really big a number. huge difference. Humanity's temporary confinement created an immediate decline in air pollution. Stay-at-home orders forced many to drastically change daily routines. 
to adjust to the unprecedented new normal. This included less time spent traveling or driving and more time working from home. People are starting to see their impact on the environment and how a small act like driving less can create drastic change. Staying at home eliminated daily distractions that prevented people from reflecting on important issues like sustainability. Many people are now more aware of how to lessen their carbon footprint. For a lot of people, that journey starts at their closet. Airing out the fashion industry's dirty laundry. Tell me about <laughs> it, Mrs. Weed Man. There's a term called fast fashion, right? That's all of our box store clothing, like, you know, mass-produced clothing, right? We don't know where it's made. Most of it's made overseas, not in good working environments for the people that are making it, not made with quality product. There's an overabundance. It ends up in the garbage dumps because they don't want to lose money. So rather than sending it to discount stores, they just throw the shit away. Or give it to people that need it would be amazing. They don't. They just throw it away compounding and compounding all of this waste of fabrics that are a lot of times polyesters and synthetics that just don't Made break from down. plastics. Shit. But not recycled plastics right. and not biodegradable. We're just talking straight up polyester, Oof. right? And nylon and rayon. and Anyway, that's just my little rant. Fast fashion. I love it. I'm a, I, I will admit I'm a consumer of fast fashion, but I'm trying to get better about it. I kind of am a mix fast good quality for certain things and fast fashion for certain things right anyway in a study conducted shortly after the pandemic began 67% of fashion consumers considered the use of sustainable materials to be an important purchasing factor big deal when searching for clothing brands environmentally conscious companies can be a deciding factor on whether a consumer purchases from them while the fashion industry isn't often brought up in conversations about sustainability, it's one of the leading culprits of unneeded waste, water pollution, plastic pollution, and greenhouse gas emissions. In fact, according to the Secondary Materials and Recycled Textiles Association, the acronym SMART, we globally produce a staggering 13 million, listen to that, 13 million tons of textile waste each year. 13 million yep. tons. 95% of which could be reused or recycled. The most common fabrics found in clothes we buy, cotton, nylon, polyester, to name a few, are often laden with harmful petrochemicals and pesticides. Plus, they use a lot of water to produce them. From cultivation to production, hemp, I should get that word right, hemp, right? That's what we're talking about here. Could be the sustainable solution for the fashion industry's needs to do their part for a better planet. Pamela West, a devoted hemp fashion activist who shared her expertise at the Spring Emerge Virtual Cannabis Conference and Expo, emphasized the importance of being aware of where our clothes are made, as the manufacturing process is extremely dirty from an environmental perspective. The reality is that there are other products that have recycled hemp or recycled plastic. These things exist. The access is the hard part because hemp is expensive, said West. You want to look at the labels of your clothes and what's in them. Look at where they're made and how the people who made them are treated. Due to the negative stigma of, of the cannabis plant, it's historically been very difficult to access sustainable hemp clothing. 
the revolutionary passing of the 2018 Farm Bill, which made it legal to grow hemp in the United States for the first time since it was banned in 1937, finally gave designers access to hemp. For the first time, they can legally change their manufacturing structures and move away from the traditional cotton industry. Rob Jungman, owner and founder of popular hemp clothing brand Jungmaven, has been working in the world of hemp fashion since creating his first hemp t-shirt in the 90s. When Jungman started, he was working out of a tiny surf shop in Central America, back before hemp fashion was even a term. I see the market for hemp growing every year. In the 1990s, we had to make detailed hashtags explaining all the benefits of industrial hemp. People would kick us out of their stores thinking it was weed, said Jungbin. The shirts were heavy and stiff, yet people wanted lightweight and burnout tees. So it's changed considerably in 28 years. While Jungman no longer uses hashtags to, to describe hemp's benefits, the company still takes part in hemp advocacy work. They raise awareness about the many uses of hemp and why its regenerative, regenerative qualities make it such a desirable alternative to resource-intensive fabrics. During the pandemic, protesters have been vocal about environment and, wow, my brain. <laughs> Got a little wave of that weed in my brain. During the pandemic, protesters have been vocal about environmentalism, and Jungman emphasized that fashion is a form of activism. What we choose to wear says both who we are and what we stand for. Making beautiful, high-quality hemp clothing is our way of creating a medium through which we can all demand change with our dollars and express what kind of future we want to live in, said Jungman. Choosing a hemp tea is a small, simple act, but it's one that will change the world. Hemp's potential to, my, to mitigate climate change is one of the greatest opportunities of our generation. Hemp is the future, and ethical, informed buyers create better opportunities for more clothing companies to incorporate hemp, supporting American hemp farmers in the process. Tra transparency with how the clothing is made is an incredibly important factor consu to consumers, too. Jung Maven, as well as outdoor clothing company Patagonia, built trust with their customers by sharing on their website their activism, certifications, and where their fabrics are sourced. It's because of this transparency that customers named Patagonia the company in America with the best reputation, according to the 2021 Axios Harris Poll 100. The clothing industry is a dirty industry and contributes up to 10% of our overall population. Uh, pollution, I'm sorry, Dirty. driving the climate crisis. Patagonia believes that what you buy is what the industry will become, and informed buyers will force the clo clothing industry to drop their dirty practices, says Patagonia spokesperson Corey Simpson. Hemp is an eco-friendly crop that truly gives back to the world in more ways than one. The plant is biodegradable, avoids soil erosion, and absorbs toxic materials from the soil. The only high you'll get from purchasing hemp clothing is knowing you're helping to reduce the waste the fashion industry has built over the years. Thankfully, hemp clothing is starting to make headway into the mainstream, with big clothing names like Levi and Nike experimenting with hemp in their products. People are starting to see that we have the power to repair the environmental damage that we've inflicted upon the earth, but we have to act fast. If you're on a mission to help save the world, it's best that you dress the part. By hemp. I think uh, just 
because of the farm the farm bill that passed in 2018 i think right now we're just in this momentum time of people starting to farm it here because we've talked about this on the show that you can't get industrial hemp fabrics here the textiles are so expensive we have a we have a dream to do some clothes out of hemp one day and it it's very hard to get any hemp clothing in in in, in the u.s so one day it's a dream you know and mrs Weedman has looked into it and it's been it's tough right it, it's hard to find yeah, yeah. It's tough. There's very Even few. finding, I mean, when we were down in Florida, we went to a couple of surf shops that had half hemp, half recycled plastic clothing. Yeah, those clothing. were cool. Yeah, those it's were, a neat, the fabric, fabric is really cool. so soft. It, it's Ugh. heavy, but soft. It was really, yeah. it has kind of a plasticky feel about it, but but I don't know, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty neat. There, there were uh, men's board shorts yes. that were made out of this fabric. Yep. It was pretty neat. Yeah. Florida-based cannabis retailer is now the largest in the nation. True Leave, the state's largest medical cannabis operator, is now the nation's biggest cannabis retailer after closing on a $2.1 billion, not million, billion deal to acquire former competitor Harvest Health and Recreation Inc. The transition marks the major development in Florida where Harvest held one of 22 licenses to cultivate, process, and sell medical cannabis uh, to a growing patient population in the nation's rapidly expanding cannabis industry uh true leaf ceo kim rivers called the closing of the deal a transformational milestone in in her gladstone county based company brief history hmm, that's big uh nba hall of famer chris weber on launching a 50 million dollar cannabis facility in detroit great basketball player good for you uh here's a cool thing nba won't randomly drug test players for cannabis for another season league announces good for you and I just read a couple of days ago, Justin Bieber is starting his own cannabis line, and I don't give a shit. Mrs. Weedman, tell us about some bongs. <laughs> you don't give a shit. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that I don't know how to use a bong. I You've tried. I tried. So I'm going to go through this article, which gives us the 10 best bongs for getting I gave ripped. you this article. But guess what? There's a bong in there that I think I could use. Yeah? Yes, because there's a lot going on, ladies and gentlemen. When you have to smoke a bong, there's a lot happening. I gave and, you this article because yeah. y- your experiences in the past with trying bongs have I been... drool. <laughs> I drool. There's a lot. Like you gotta get your mouth into the bowl, into the, <laughs> the thing. You gotta light it with your hand. You gotta draw. You gotta pull the. You're also thing. a lefty, and everything you everything do. Everything I do in life. So is it's right. very hard for you to use the right hand to play with the left hand to do both. It's but very hard. I know how to use both of my hands. I know, but you're 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 a lefty when it comes to doing a lot of things. Well, I'm so, left-handed. Right. So it might be. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's no? just a lot. There's a lot happening. <laughs> I think it's because I you think can't it... use your right hand. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> I can. Jeez Louise. I I was a hairstylist for years. You have to use two hands for the That's entire true. job. That's I know true. how to use both That's my true. hands. Okay. This is a different skill. All right. And if any of you have trouble with the bong, let me know. Daniel son, <laughs> I'm gonna teach you the I'm gonna one no, day. I'm gonna buy one of these fancy bongs. <laughs> All right. If your goal is to get high, you can't go wrong with a bong, right? They're perfect for group hangs or for solo sessions, and they deliver immediate results, which is my top reason why I like to smoke. But is there such a thing as a bad bong? 
Through rigorous testing, we feel these 10 bongs represent the cream of the crop, the creme de la creme. They rise to the top. So, the anatomy of a bong. Although bongs come in many different styles, the anatomy of a bong is relatively the same across the board. First is the mouthpiece, where you inhale the smoke from. Then there's the tube, the long neck, right? And maybe an ice catch. Uh, The tube as well, just that. It's a tube. And if there's an ice catch, it stops the ice from getting into the water chamber, which sits at the bottom. Then there's the little bowl. So there's this little down stem that holds the bowl, right? And that connects the bowl to the chamber, which holds the water, right? So how do I hit a bong? Well, you fill up the bong with enough water so a decent amount of the down stem, which is where the bowl sits, is submerged. Too much water and you'll get splashed while smoking. Well, not enough water leads to a harsher hit. Then you fill your bowl with your desired amount of cannabis. You put your bowl into the down stem. You grab a lighter and find a comfy seat on the couch. So you grab your bong with your non-dominant hand. You hold a lighter with your dominant hand. You light the bowl and put your lips inside of the mouthpiece, which we have a funny story because we had um, one of... uh, Polly's friends. Polly's friends was over, and all of the guys were sitting in the basement, and they pulled a bong out, and it was one of the guys' first time smoking a bong, and he mouthed essentially it. mouthed it. <laughs> <laughs> we were laughing. Poor guy. He just didn't know. He didn't know. So you oh put your lips God. inside the mouthpiece, not over it, right? <laughs> it was pretty funny. And you suck. You don't inhale. So that the water bubbles that are in the chamber that's filled with smoke, kind of percolate, right? And when you have the desired amount of smoke, you lift the bowl out and you inhale and you repeat as necessary. Well, that's where I start drooling because there's some uh, quite a bit of time where you're like sitting there with your lips over the, over the neck of the bong before you pull the bowl out, right? And the, so Depends on how big. I suppose I could close my mouth. I don't know. The whole thing, I just can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so what materials should you look for when you're buying a bong? Well, popular bong materials include glass, acrylic, ceramic, and silicone. Glass bongs are the most popular on the market since they provide the cleanest and purest taste. They're usually made from brosilicate glass, which contains boron trioxide. That means that they're incredibly durable and will not crack under extreme temperature changes like regular glass. Uh, So tempered glass, I think, would probably be an easier word for us to say. Yeah. Acrylic bongs are the cheapest, and they are very, uh, they're virtually indestructible. However, it makes for the least versatile since it's difficult to add on accessories like percolators. Ceramic bongs are durable, and they're behind glass for providing the tastiest hits. Silicone bongs are the easiest to wash and clean since they're dishwasher safe. They're also durable, well priced, customizable, and they do perform well. Um, are bongs a healthier alternative to bowls and joints? Well, compared to hitting a joint or smoking from a bowl, bongs provide a smoother toke thanks to the water and some ice cubes if you're feeling jazzy. Since there's no dry heat, which you get from a joint, the hit is less harsh. However, according to the Center for Disease Control, smoked cannabis, regardless of how you smoke it, can harm lung tissues and cause damage to blood vessels. And smoking cannabis can lead to a greater risk of bronchitis and chronic coughing, according to the American Lung Association. Both organizations agree that more research is needed into the effects of cannabis on lung health. If you're looking for a less risky way to ingest cannabis, try vaporizers, which use convection and conduction rather than combustion. 
the fancy term for lighting something on fire. Uh, they use these uh, ways, the vaporizers, to release the terpenes in the cannabis and have shown to reduce respiratory irritation. So here we go. Now you know what to look for in the construction of a bong, and now we are going to talk about the 10 best bongs of 2021. Number one is the best overall bong. That is higher standards, heavy-duty mini beaker. It has a glass downstem with slits that clean and cool your draw for a silky, smooth hit. They run about 120. They're not too small, not too large, durable, uh, good feel, um, and they're clear, so you can't hide your dirty water. So they're saying that that's a negative, but I say that's a positive because you know it's dirty, so go clean it. Change your bong water. Yeah. Number two, best splurge bong is by Air, H-E-I-R, like Air to the Throne, right? Air Water Pipes, which come in 11 or 13-inch bongs, and they are considered the Rolls-Royce of bongs, and they run about 260. They're made of high-quality materials. They can be dis put in the dishwasher and they are expensive the downside uh number three is the best budget bong which is the bento bong it's modular sleek packable and customizable and they run about 45 bucks they're sleek and modular they're easy to disassemble and they are dishwasher safe uh four is the best incognito bong made by puffco budsy it's a bong disguised as a water bottle that makes a perfect companion to any adventure. They run about 50 bucks. They really do look like a water bottle. It does. It's discreet, and it is made of plastic. Number five uh, is the best-looking bong made by Summerland Chongo. It's a ceramic bong that's made with lead-free, food-safe glaze, and they run about 250 I thought it was really pretty, but it's it's opaque. You can't see through it, so you really would have to be diligent about keeping it clean you, just you pack, can't see you pack, it. you pack a smaller bowl of it then you know and you hit it lightly so yeah but it, you can't see into the vessel because the bottom of the bong gets kind of gross too doesn't it oh the water gets gross in there mostly the sides yeah 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 uh so it's beautiful we'll look at it's durable it looks like art and costs about as much as art again they're 250 uh number six best bong for inspector gadget is the ice but spelled e-y-c-e beaker it's a silicone bong that has a hidden stash jar, a rolling tray, and a magnetic lighter holder, and a stainless steel poker. They run about 70 bucks. They're made of indestructible silicone. They have built-in compartments for accessories. I have to say I'm not a huge fan of the silicone ones. Uh, seven, best bong that does good is the Session Goods Bong. Those are really nice looking. They feature a modern design that blends in seamlessly to your home and it feels good in your hands. They run about 120. The modern design is nice. Uh, make the company makes monthly donations to organizations supporting marginalized groups. They are expensive though. Number eight is the best souped up bong by Jet Filtration Systems. It is the Sub Zero water pipe. They offer a limited. No, I made that word up. They offer a lifetime warranty. There's no limit. It doesn't say that. Lifetime. Uh, lifetime warranty. That's pretty good. Yeah. Impact-resistant materials and design, an ash filter, and a water fill line. Uh, they are customizable, and the negative is that they're pricey, and I failed to put the price in there. So you'll have to look that one up. 192 All right. There we go. 
Uh, nine is the best classy bong. This one is beautiful. The Marley Natural Water Pipe. Uh, this piece is perfect for a stoner who likes the aesthetic of big libraries, plaid, and reading J.D. Salinger. They run about 240, and it is beautiful. It's just kind of framed with this beautiful natural yeah, it's, wood. It's, pretty nice. it's a glass beaker. Although with the natural wood being on there, I wonder the long-term use, how that wood holds up, because you have to clean it, and chemicals are pretty harsh. So that's just my opinion. Uh, this is the quintessential bong design made with high-end materials. It is super fragile, and it is expensive. And we have the best gravity bong. This one is really cool looking. I want to try you this would, so you, bad. It looks like a laboratory machine. Uh, this is made by Stunden Glass. They use the power of gravity to fill the chamber with smoke, and it provides contactless cannabis ingestion, meaning you don't have to worry about mouth germs when toking, so you could share the bong with friends. Oh. Downside? Six hundo. Yeah, it's expensive. That's a big one. That's probably the reason why I haven't bought yep. one yet. They're expensive. It is a do-it-all bong. You get contactless ripping, but it is super, super expensive. So, yeah. I've seen those, yeah. and I've been wanting to buy one, but I'm too... That's, I that's a lot. I don't have that kind of money to spend on a bong. That, yeah. <laughs> one day. Someday. Someday. It's a beauty. Well, that was a good read. Did you? Did yeah. it help you understand uh, bongs a little bit better? No, but I think the no. the best. <laughs> I understand them, I know, I, but teasing. I can't use them. The best splurge bong was my favorite, the air water pipe. Although it looks a little bit like a salad dressing dispenser, where like you'd put olive olive oil or something in there. But it's nice looking. You can't. What I'm when I'm looking at it, I think to me it looks like you don't have to remove anything when you're smoking. So I feel like that it could be like a one-handed operation. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually like that one. I don't think I drew. Kind of looks it. like a, a cross between a spray bottle. Yeah, like and, a, and like a oil dropper. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. What was that motion you just made? I had a niche. Oh, I thought you. I didn't know if you were signaling me for something. <laughs> I wasn't signaling for anything. Like, wrap it up, <laughs> wrap it up, Mrs. Weedman. <laughs> well, I'm done. <laughs> Love it. Hey, everybody. Hope out there in the world, you're all doing okay. You're doing great. I want to say peace be with you all. Thanks for listening. You guys are just in gals and people of the world out there. We love you. As Paulie always says, smoke smart. Puff puffing away. Puff puff pass. <laughs>